Colin Smith. Hello, Baltimoreans. How y'all doing? How are y'all doing? And that is perhaps a more genuine question than it has been in years. <laughs> in years. Well, um, Sam, we should probably start off, as we do with so many of our Baltimoreans podcasts, with an apology. Um, in this case, <laughs> though, that apology is... Dear God, we're so sorry we're doing this podcast. We hope it doesn't break everything. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Yes. I'm also curious to know from you, the Baltimoreans, if you have reached the point where you have, like, you start listening to the podcast and you're like, not are they going to apologize, but what will they be apologizing for this time? <laughs> yes. Is it is it the long absence? Is it the poorly baked takes? Or in this case, is it um, coming back on the air after such a delightful, uh, I would say, um, transcendent couple of months of baseball um, and instantly jinxing everything and crashing the team back into the uh, pit that it has been languishing in for the past couple of years? Yeah. We have an important question at hand today, Alan, and that question is something that goes to the very heart of this endeavor which, as we have discussed before, is in its 10th year. Gaps notwithstanding. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, everything continues to age, even if it's not, you know, getting out of bed every day. Right, right. So the question that is at hand, I think, is what does it mean to be an all-weather fan? Because, as you were just saying, the Orioles are in the midst of an astonishing run by, I think, any, anyone who's paid even loose attention to baseball for the past few years, regardless of how this season ends, would be astonished at how well the Orioles have been performing since, really since the Flying Rutschman arrived in the dugout. And he, this, is, as, he is the one we were promised, Sam. I'm so, I love him so much. <laughs> I love him so much. I do this little thing every day where I just look at his on-base percentage and smile. <laughs> it's un it, yeah. The fact that he is um settling for is not even the right word, but the fact that he is um with such confidence stroking all of these doubles and not trying I mean I feel like every Orioles batter that we have been watching for the past like three seasons of a hundred lost baseball has been doing this, just grip it and rip it swing where it's like, I don't even, if I hit this, it's going a long way, but everything else is just frustration. Right. And Adley's like, he's making contact and the contact is going into the gaps for doubles. It's unbelievable. It's so much fun to watch. It's so much but fun there to watch. Is, there's also something quietly revolutionary about his game, Alan, which is the audacity to not swing. <laughs> with, yes. I think if he walks three more times, he will be the team leader in walks. He says, despite the fact the that he's played else. thirty to forty fewer games than anyone else on the team. We have not had anyone who is willing to do that in my adult <laughs> life as an Orioles fan. I mean, give or take Nick Markakis. <laughs> yeah, but but. Even Nick Markakis, you know, in his best years, he was getting on base 34%, 35% of the time. Adley is right now at 365, and 
and he had a, and he had a rough first month. <laughs> yeah, and and he's still learning the league. You know what I mean? Okay, I, um, but so I so, am so excited. Let me just say this one more thing about Adley. I know yeah, yeah. somewhere in the basement of the warehouse, some social media inter- intern is just compiling clips of him um, hugging and greeting the pitcher at uh. the end of every inning. And they're going to make this compilation that they're going to drop on us in like year five of the Adley Rutschman experience. And just, yes. just let me say to you, um, uh, underpaid and underappreciated intern, I see you. I appreciate <laughs> you. Thank you for your service. And uh, shout out to, I think it's the folks at Camden Chat who are already selling their own T-shirt that says, uh, it's not an official Orioles T-shirt, but uh, it says Adley Hugs. Yeah. <laughs> um, my favorite thing about the Adley Hug, by the way, is that as near as I can tell, here's this kid, right? He's 24 years old. He's heralded as the top prospect in all of baseball. He comes up to the big leagues with unbelievable expectation and decides to play with just unabashed exuberance and is running up to veteran major league pitchers, hardened fastball throwing maniacs, and just giving slap them hugs. Slap hands, slap hands. It's very water boy to yes, me. Yes, <laughs> he's, so, he's so excited. And from what I can tell, all the Orioles pitchers are just on board with it. Yeah. They're like, sure, sure. Getting, getting sucked up. Even earlier, even before the 10-game winning streak and all of a sudden being in the conversation for the wild card when it was just... This season is basically just about getting Adley reps. They were so willing to just let his puppy dog spirit become the energy of the team. And it seems to have been fairly infectious, right? Like, I think we have almost a 600 winning percentage since he was called up. That's unbelievable. That's, uh, yeah. Um, we, We are both so conditioned uh, for the big name, um, promised prospects to, well, usually to blow out some important joint, um, in, in (laughs) double A's on the way up and then arrive without anything close to such a bang. And of course, you know, this could all go South and knock on all the wood, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, yeah, just, just the, the vibe, I mean, the, the, the energy in Baltimore, um, feels, completely unprecedented in my experience as a fan. It's crazy because with Manny, right? I mean, I think Manny is probably the most recent comp we have for this. Um, And Manny wasn't even a 1-1 pick. Um, But when Manny came up, it snuck up on us how good he was. Mm. I think we knew he was going to be a quality major league player, but it, it... even that first year, he wasn't really hitting, but his defense was so out of control. Yeah, that... but, but the difference with Manny for me, I mean, and maybe this is sour grapes, knowing how the Manny Machado experience played out, but my memory of him is like, when he came up, he was too cool for school. Like when he came exactly. up, he was already sort of like scouting his Yankees contract of the future. Um, and it turned out not to be the Yankees who gave it to him. But like, I remember like <laughs> his favorite pitcher, his favorite player being A-Rod and that discussion and all of that, like yep. schmazzle yep. as like one of the major Manny talking points. And so it was like, I couldn't even, there's not like a, um, well, maybe we should get back on the actual subject here and stop putting pins in things, but the Trey Mancini experience uh, and the Trey Mancini as an Oriole 
And just like the amount that that being an Oreo clearly meant to him um, yeah. and the amount that that has sort of rubbed off on other players and maybe also on Adley and maybe Adley is feeling the same, you know, taking that torch and I, I, whatever, whatever. But it feels to me like the players who are there want to be there and are excited and Adley being like the champion of that yeah. clubhouse. No, you're right. You're right. And I, I actually do think this is this is worth staying on for just a second because the acknowledged awkwardness of the Manny era was the fact that from the beginning, he, he had like a weird attitude and didn't hustle on ground balls. And we all just kind of let it be what it was because he was such a generational talent um, without it seemed always even trying his hardest. And, but there were all those stories about how like Buck Showalter had to talk to him and be like, listen, dude, don't blow this. Um, and the difference, it, it, like he didn't have any, it, you know, and who knows if the offensive highs for Adley are going to be as high as they were for Manny. I hope they are. But Manny did not have that kind of like puppy dog uh, enthusiasm to yeah him. happy to be here yeah yeah there's an interesting exactly. there's exactly. an interesting um uh series of psychological studies about our preference for natural talent over effort um so like mm-hmm. they'll, they'll they'll play like pe- they'll play blind uh pieces of music and they'll tell you piece a is from someone who is like a savant and piece B is from someone who was like worked really hard and they ask you to rate the pieces of music. And even though it's Hmm. the same musician playing the same piece of music, people will like say they prefer the natural savant one. It's clear that he's gifted. Like the people will like place that value judgment on things. Um, and it's interesting for me to think about, like, I do that. Everybody does that. It's a natural phenomenon. We, we, we preference natural talent over grit. Um, except maybe in the case of our number one draft picks. I think I'm going, I think I'm team grit here. <laughs> yeah. No, it's an interesting thing. Uh, this makes me think of and prepare for a classic Baltimoreans awkward segue. <laughs> this makes me think of the seminal New Yorker profile by Michael Shulman of the actor Jeremy Strong. Of course. Which, <laughs> I mean, uh, segueing <laughs> off of my psychological study, let me see if I can cite that for you while you tell me about Strong. <laughs> Well, basically, I just want to draft off what you were saying to point out that we as fans of things, whether it's TV shows or baseball teams, it's a little itchy for us to see the work. We don't like to see the work. We don't like to think that what we're watching is a craft that has to be constantly and obsessively honed and built. Right. Um, We would prefer to think that people just have naturally gifts that they don't have to do anything to maintain. I think probably because that nurses a latent idea in us that maybe we have that in us somewhere too. And it's just a matter Hmm. of time before it comes out. Hmm. Um, I'm just wildly speculating about that, but uh, that last piece, but Jeremy strong got a lot of flack for this profile in the New Yorker because basically what the profile did is point out that he works extraordinarily hard and has a very obsessive methodology for eliciting from himself the performance that he gives in succession, which is an astonishing performance. And basically the fact that he has to work really hard at it, at it made a lot of people go like, that guy sounds like an awful person. 
Hmm. And I thought, is he or is he just a person with a craft and that it he's just more open about the fact than other people are that it takes a lot to do what he is able to do? Yeah, yeah. And I think the comparison there with Adley is that he's willing to say, it's a big deal that I'm here and I don't take it lightly. Um, and that's very exciting to us. Who knows? There are probably... Yankee fans who watch him and are like, okay, calm down, kid. Like, yeah, right. like you've been in end zone before. Sure. Professor Angela Lee Duckworth, just for the record. That's the uh, grit. Angie versus, Ducks. That's the grit versus natural ability uh, series of studies. I am now of the opinion that if you have the last name Duckworth, you are doing good work for the nation. Because this psychological study, which I've just learned about and know nothing more about than what you've told me, seems uh, to be a useful way of looking at Adley Rutschman. So that means that it's my favorite psychological study of all time. And we will not psychologically analyze that statement I've just made. (laughs) And Professor Tammy Duckworth, Professor, Senator, (laughs) currently working to enshrine gay marriage. Yeah. As law in our great nation. Um. Should we should we should we should we spend a minute talking about the seminal climate change legislation that just passed the Senate and uh, how how big a deal that is, or should we get back to the question that you almost managed to verbalize at the beginning of this podcast <laughs> fifteen minutes ago? I would like to set a challenge that I know you can meet, Alan Smith, which is talk to me about climate change and figure out a way to bring it back to Ooh. the 2022 Baltimore Orioles. I know you can do it. Because well, it's all about, I mean, ultimately, it's all about the expectation game, right? I mean, it's what we're talking about here. Well, Whether we're talking about climate change, Jeremy Strong, or Brandon Hyde's uh, roster management. Yeah, I think, I think, I think the, other, the other clear uh, um, parallel here is that the, <laughs> the bill that, that um, you know, when Manchin came back to the table and they, they hammered out this, this deal and it's called, for whatever reason, the, like, beat back inflation bill instead of the, what it actually is, because that's the, you know, that's yeah. the branding that Manchin needed to feel okay about it when he fell asleep at night. Um, yes. And God knows the most important thing to the future of this country is Joe Manchin's feelings. Well, and apparently also uh, Kristen Sinema's illicit relationship with somebody who works for a hedge fund, um, because the, oh <laughs> the weird carve out that she passed there um yeah, so here's my here's my analogy. Uh, this news about the climate bill is better than three months ago. We had any right to expect. It, it is yes. absolutely phenomenal. Um, the fact that the, 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 that that it is being addressed at this scale gives me mm-hmm. um, hope in a way that I uh, completely had given up on from something coming out of the federal government um, as, as recently as uh, April, um, which I think it's very clear why that's an Orioles comp. Um, but then the other way in which <laughs> it is similar to the Baltimore Orioles is that it feels like with all of that amazingness, it's not enough and we left something on the table. Um, mm. And with the climate bill, Ooh, I think that there are a couple of, Smith. <laughs> there are a couple of you know easy things like making the oil companies pay more for instead of giving right. them more tax breaks, making them pay more for the damage that they have wrought upon this earth um, certainly seems like something we left on the table. Uh, I think that 
most climate activists would agree that this is a good start, but not enough. So we'll have to revisit mm -hmm. the actual total overall spending. And as always, the devil is in the details on how this actually gets out to states and how this is actually sort of paid out is, is difficult to, to, you know, crystal ball read at this moment in time. Much like the Orioles <laughs> deciding, even as they were in the midst of a 10-game winning streak coming up to the trade deadline, to be sellers at the last moment mm -hmm. and to trade mm -hmm. off some pieces that, you know, I think were certainly contributing, if not to um, wins against replacement in Trey Mancini's case, the overall locker room vibe, the feeling that something yep. was happening in Baltimore, part of this general zeitgeist of like, we're happy to be here and we're excited that this is happening to us in Baltimore, not like just somewhere that where, where, where we don't care about the laundry that we're, that, that, that's on our backs. So I feel like even though I am excited about the Orioles, I have this pang and this feeling that something has been left on the table. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm excited for um, Trey Mancini to get a shot at the pennant. And I hope that he beats the Yankees with a short porch dinger in Houston. Um, but, yep. you know, I'm, 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 I'm a little sad. And uh, yeah. I feel like, you know, this has been, by the time you all are listening to this, you have certainly processed your own feelings and emotional, and you've been through the ringer of people telling you to, it's just baseball. And this is the sport that we've all, you know, this is just, it's, it's a business and blah, 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 blah. And you've gone through that argument and the counter argument and the counter, counter, counter argument. Um, but I would say that the, the analogy for um, the larger climate bill uh, is, is that we um, celebrate while acknowledging our uh, feelings of incompleteness. Yes. Yes. I think that's that's even better than I knew you were going to do <laughs> at bringing these these threads together. And I think, you know, th so the original question I was going to ask uh, low these 18 minutes ago was about this this nature of what does it actually mean to be an all-weather fan? And I think the reason that that is relevant um, to this moment and is connected to what you're talking about is when we say all-weather fan, we meant it when we started this podcast to indicate we're with the team when they're down. Um, we're, Which is all they ever were. <laughs> yes, even when... It seems like we are doomed to eternally wander the wilderness. We can, we're going to, we're not going to give up. We're not going to abandon ship. But All Weather Fan, as has been extensively documented on this show over the years, has taken on a bunch of different meanings, but it's at arguably its most interesting inflection point, I think, right now. Because when Duquette came in and Showalter came in, there was no seismic philosophical shift at least explicitly it was just we got to shake things up here because what we did before ain't working when elias came in and brought um what's his sig madol i think from houston with him and was like the analytics era has arrived in baltimore we are modernizing this franchise this is going to be a painful transition and it's going to take a long time, and it's not going to be fun for a while. And we have been derided as, like, the tankers of all tanking for a couple of years now. 
And all of a sudden, it seems like the strategy is starting to bear fruit. And so now I think the question that we are being asked is, do you believe not just in the team, but do you believe in the idea that Elias has the capacity to build a dynasty of the kind that he was the co-architect of in Houston? Because Houston, I mean, <laughs> that their window seems to be open permanently here. Um, and this is the guy who, you know, he had, a, Elias is one of the guys who had his hand on the tiller. Um, but the Mancini trade was like, a, and the Lopez trade to a little bit lesser extent were real tests of that. Because if the idea is that we are confident that his efforts have gotten us to this point, can we not find a way to say, this year has already been more fun than it had any excuse to be. And if he really is a wizard, these were two more magic tricks that were necessary to make 2023 genuinely fun from start to finish. And the beginning of a 10-year window, if he's to be believed. Right, yeah. Hashtag liftoff. Um, and, you know, he says we're going to be signing players this offseason. I'll believe it when I see it. Or, but, but what was so interesting to me about the outcry when Mancini was traded was obviously some of it was predictable, but there was in myself also this instant sense of conviction that Elias is a scam artist and mm. a huckster and that it's all just about keeping payroll below a certain point for him and corporate governance rather than actually building a winner. I was so, so ready to go sour on him, even though he bears direct responsibility for the amount of fun that I have had as an Orioles fan in 2022 for the first time in years. Um, and the jury's still out for me. The jury's still out for me on, you know, I, I'm really excited about Grayson Rodriguez, but Grayson Rodriguez is also hurt. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what we always do to our pitching prospects is injure them and then bring them up and set them up to fail. And it, I still feel like, yeah, sure. Adley came up and, has been great so far, but I'm sure we're going to find a way to mess it up the way we always do. Well, did you so see I don't how? Know. Did you see how allergic Elias seems to be to, to drafting pitchers? <laughs> yeah, I thought that was really yeah. interesting. Where it's like maybe he has decided that the um, that the whole process of gambling on arms is even more of a crazy hit or miss plan than um than the plan of, of of getting good bats and maybe he's you know we'll get a good we'll get a good um get good players that have can hit and then we'll spend money on uh spend money on pitching yeah well and i mean to his credit pitching is even more of a question mark this year than it has been forever ever, ever. yeah it's i mean the idea of a pitcher throwing 200 innings now is an insane thought. Um, and that as recently as 2018 was not true. I mean, that's crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, where are you? Where are you on? Were you ready to tap out on Elias when you read about the Mancini deal? Or did you, did you, were you able to convince yourself to pump the brakes? 
I, I think I was in, I think, I think that, uh, I saw the value really, I think my overall takeaway from this trade deadline is that I would like to, um, invite Buster only to, um, take a long walk off a short pier. Um, <laughs> because he has been just slamming the Orioles on every which way. Um, and yeah, I'm tired of him. Uh, and no, no, no mea culpa for, uh, blaming this Orioles team for ruining baseball. Um, despite right. it being perhaps the most interesting, uh, storyline from the season while also slamming somehow both trades as the Orioles not getting enough back for the players. And yeah. So my, my number one, a and most important takeaway is that Buster only can shove it. Um, mm. I, I think for me, um, the the trust the process is strong um Mm -hmm. i i think that like uh i have invested through two 100 plus lost seasons in a row and i need that emotionally to pay dividends (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so i need him to have been right um yeah in the sense that I'm not willing yet to broker the idea that he could be wrong. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think that the interesting thing for me was sort of like, well, I, 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 I think two things. One, I think um, I am still invested in the project. And I think that uh, I, it was intriguing to me to see how much it was sort of like the sunk cost fallacy where yeah. I, I really want these losses to have been leading to something. So I'm still invested mm-hmm. in them leading to something. But I also yeah. was, was interested in this idea of like, um, you only, you only, you only play for the chip, right? Like you're only in it mm-hmm. if you can win the whole damn thing. And that's the only reason that we do any of this. Um, and that is just not my experience of sports. And it's just mm-hmm. not my experience of baseball, specifically baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like the stories of Cedric Mullins and Trey Mancini and the sort of like lights in the darkness of dark times, Brian Roberts, Jeremy Guthrie are more significant to me in my like retrospective about thinking about baseball than my, I mean, they're, they're at least up there and on par with beating the Tigers in that playoffs mm-hmm. where, you know, mm-hmm. like, like they, 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 they are on the same tier uh, as the team being yeah. really good and being in competition to actually win the thing. Um, right. And, and that to me is a reflection on this sort of like, well, the cold, correct calculating thing to do is to sell at this deadline, because even if we do make the third wild card, it's probably not going to be a world cup world series winning team. And, we could make the, you know, a, a very strong um, uh, minor league system even stronger by making these trades. And, um, you know, we're, we're building for the future. Misses for me, I think, the fact that those two players, well, Mancini specifically, is the only reason that, and his story and his overcoming of cancer and that whole narrative is the only thing that has been keeping me interested for two years, two years, two years is a long time yeah. in sports fandom. 
and to have there be essentially nothing mm-hmm. else to root for uh, and for us to have made this Faustian bargain, which says, okay, we're basically going to like not be an interesting, like, you know, I, I'm turning 40 this year, man. <laughs> like I, you, you need to give me some re- <laughs> like, like the, the, the investment in this team is, is, is on a different, like it's on a different level than, whether or not we happen to win the World Series. Like, I'm going to be an Orioles fan, so you may as well make it interesting for me. Like, please make it worthwhile. Yeah. Make it make it something that is is that gives me some reason to invest. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think that I think that uh, I think that Elias is going to do good things. And I have not I'm not I am not out on the project yet. But to me, all weather fandom is finding reasons to be invested in every version of the team that the Orioles put on the field. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. my general critique of all of this, like, you know, either you're, you're the odds on favorite to win the world series or you're bottoming out and there is no in between is that like, you're not accounting for three years of fan experience in there, which has been fairly unpleasant. Like, yeah. It's not super fun to like look up and see the Orioles as like the bottomest payroll of all time. And it's not super right, fun to right. be like, uh, you know, every time someone gets on a 10 game hitting streak being like, well, he's getting traded. Like that, that's, not, yeah. that's not like a super enjoyable fan experience. Um, and I think that that is yeah. underrated in how we judge success or failure of, of these managers. Totally. I think there is actually an interesting connection between what you're just saying and the whole, the Jeremy Strong of it all, if I Mm. may, (laughs) Uh which is what we are seeing play out publicly with Elias is the work, Uh right? We're seeing him have to make the very difficult, you know, we could call it, this is the GM's craft, right? Is constantly making these short-term versus long-term decisions, weighing fan sentiment against ownership mandate trying to infuse a an organizing strategic principle across every level of the organization making the difficult decisions that nobody else would want to have to make we're seeing it like we're seeing the work and, and the good news it there doesn't is, feel good to us but the good news there is to to this whole theory is Okay, if you're going to trust someone, you want to trust someone who has put in the 10,000 hours. Um, and right. it is very right. clear that this dude has. Yes. And I think there is also some evidence that he understands the game from the perspective you were just describing, Alan, mm-hmm. which is, you know, I don't think, much like his predecessor, Mike Elias is not a good public communicator. This is not something that GMs are famous for, right? We spent four years of our lives doing a ridiculous Dan Duquette impression on this podcast because he was so laughably bad at talking to people who are not fellow baseball GMs. Um, And Elias is no better, right? You look at his press conference for Jackson Holiday, he looks like he just spilled ketchup on his his white suit. He he's dour, pinched, rumpled, unexuberant. It, 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 it awkward, stumbly. 
it's just, I mean, and this is ostensibly a banner day for the organization, and uh, there's no evidence uh, on his voice, uh, in his voice or presentation that that is the case. All of that aside, in the wake of the Mancini and Lopez trades, knowing that people in the clubhouse were upset, he gets on a plane mm-hmm. and flies to Texas mm-hmm. to get there before the game starts and meet privately with some of the players to say, I know that, I mean, we don't know what was said privately, but just the fact that he showed up to do it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then was willing to go on the record and say, you know, the now famous, potentially infamous remark about liftoff and signing players this offseason. Um, I think that says a lot that he was willing to do that. Um, Especially because, you know, GMs are always distant and sort of mystical presences who lord over the fates of the players. And so when they engage with them directly at all, it's noteworthy. But particularly somebody like Elias, who is a young guy running a team on his own for the first time and doing it with this analytical mindset that is much more esoteric and hard to pin down the logic of than somebody like Duquette, who was much more old school in his thinking. And, you know, at least the the decisions he made to trade for people, it was like, well, yeah, on, you know, the counting stats are there. I get why you made this move versus uh, Elias, who, you know, one of the pitchers that we traded for is supposedly this top prospect, but he's about to have Tommy John surgery. The earliest he's going to pitch is 2024. It's like, what? But there's obviously something in the analysis that makes that make sense to him. So and the also, fact that I mean, if you, think was, about, he, if you think about just the, the people, like, if you think about a window in which um, we see the Orioles being competitive and we've been talking about, you know, being two years away from being two years away. It now feels like we're just two years away. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe that's because of this set of wins. Maybe that's because of uh, my positive Orioles blinders um, and my Orioles tinted glasses (laughs) that I'm always wearing. But like it does, you know, it feels like uh, there are some people on this team. um, Who's the young kid who just took, took over Trey's, position and is just like raking Verena, Verena, how do you say his name? Vavra. Vavra. Holy smokes. Terran Vavra. Um, yeah, he's hitting like 389 so far. Yep. That's going to continue because of my Orioles tinted glasses. Um, but you know, <laughs> the, the, in, in those lights, Lopez and Mancini are the right, and you assume that we're not going to be buyers then Lopez and Mancini are the right two people to trade off this team. You know, one, one of them is somebody who is struggling with the new Orioles dimensions and carries real value because of his intangibles and leadership to a potential playoff running team. And the other one is a scrap heap reliever who uh, we got damn lucky with and every underlying statistic says is not going to continue to be as lights out as he currently is. So it's like, Right. I can see both of those from from the from the quant perspective um, and just that that man management thing is really tough. Like it, it's yeah, 
the Orioles have won five of six since the trade deadline, but uh, it um, it really it really struck me that Trey Mancini meant a lot to that team and to the people he was leaving behind. Yeah, well, something I, I just think I just think the fact that Elias went down there to meet with the team in the wake of all this to show up in person suggests that he understands both sides of this. Even if he doesn't demonstrate it well, even if he doesn't communicate about it, about it effectively. I mean, it's so, it's corny, but it made me feel like his heart is in the right place. Yeah, and maybe, you know? maybe in sort of like when the cameras are off, everybody says that, um, everybody, that incredible fluff piece about <laughs> Rob Manfred suggests that uh, he has a sort of like on-camera, off-camera personality divide that's sort of Jekyll and Heidi, and maybe we can assume yeah. the same about somebody who is, you know, a math guy who doesn't like to be in front of cameras but could also be a human being when called upon. <laughs> totally, totally. And, you know, I mean, there are things with... There are things about all of this that we don't know. Um, and it may be that we're going to make a serious run at trying to bring Trey back in the off season. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing that it is important for us to keep in mind here, I suppose, is our schedule for the last, I think it's now eight weeks of the season is brutal. It is devastating. It is like Red Sox, Blue Jays, Yankees, Astros, like over and over. And over. I think we play Tampa one more time, maybe. It, oh, no, I guess we're done with them. But it's just, it's going to be rough. It is going to be rough. And I do think there's a chance that we could make it to the finish line as an 83-84 win team, and that would be awesome. But, yeah, it's not likely. Yeah. <laughs> It's not likely, and he's playing the numbers. Enriching, game. yeah. If if enriching the farm system a little bit more, um, gives us the you know that extra couple of percentage points to next year be an eighty eight ninety two win team, um, and really be in the conversation. And if as we continue to get to watch Adley develop as a player, we also get to see some meaningful late season at bats for Gunnar Henderson. That's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. And I think we all need to pump the brakes a little bit and just realize when you sit down to watch an Orioles game, you're not signing up for a blowout. And that's big news. That's headline news. Yeah. You yeah. Know? That's, that's right. That's right. I, do, so do, do you feel like then that the, that the, that the all-weather fandom is uh, trust the process? I mean, do you feel that that's that that's synonymous with like in we have to we have to go down with Peter Angelos and we have to go down with Mike Elias as we went down with Dan Duquette and other sinking ships of the past? Well, think about the emotional roller coaster that we've been on in this season alone before hashtag Adley hugs and before. Mancini gate and before the 10 game win streak that brought us back to the brink of competitiveness for the playoffs, there was 
the whole very ugly public leak of the fact that one of the Angelos brothers is suing the other one about how the team is being run and the fact that the you know the one of them's pitting the mom against the other one and you know there's this secret plan to move the team and nobody in ownership is actually invested in the future of the organization or the city and that they're just trying to grind the value to the right point to make a sale so they can come out ahead of time. It was gross. It was gross. And then Adley Rutschman came up and started hugging people, and we just conveniently forgot about all that. But that's still happening yeah. <laughs> in the background, right? And who knows what effect that is having on the decisions Elias is making. So it is, to use a phrase that means something that I don't know but seems apt for this moment, a margin call. And I feel like, you know, right now we're winning about 52% of our games. I think I'm 52% on the side of (laughs) Elias knows what he's doing. He's got a good plan. (laughs) And I'm willing to trust the process into October and the offseason and become cautiously excited about going from being an interesting, fun team in 2022 to a genuinely exciting team in 2023. But I am aware that it's entirely possible that the team could get sold (laughs) this fall. And the, the whole... And I was also ready, by the way, when Joe Madden got fired and when Joe Girardi got fired, uh, the Joe Exodus of <laughs> spring 2022. Jexodus. Jexodus. I was definitely texting you being like, we should hire Joe Madden. We should hire uh, Joe Girardi. Because I, you know, there was no evidence to me at that point that Brandon Hyde was in the midst of creating an energy in a clubhouse that would be able to ride out a sustained period of 600 baseball like this. But that is something he's apparently capable of doing. So as we move into competition, this is another question. Do we still want Brandon Hyde to be the manager? Or do we want these two legendarily excellent managers to be to come in um, and take over? If you well, had asked is, me that question... There is a legendarily excellent manager who keeps on accidentally falling asleep in the White, House, the White Sox dugout right now. So... You don't, you don't, you don't necessarily <laughs> want to just go with the people who are experienced above all else. Yeah, well, and I mean, it's very interesting to look at the divergent paths there, right? Because the the Angels fired Joe Madden when they were two games under five hundred, and they're now, I think, fifteen games under five hundred. Um, so that obviously was not the correct button to push. Uh, the Phillies were maybe a game under or right at five hundred when they fired Girardi, and now are like 10 games over seem like a lock to make the playoffs and they don't even have Bryce Harper. (laughs) Yeah. So if Nick Markovich were here, he would say managers ain't shit. (laughs) Uh, That's the wrong conversation to be having. I would love to, I would love to launch into a uh, 15 minute analogy about the current uh, Tottenham Hotspur manager renaissance and how much I think managers do change certain sports at different times. But uh, I think we are nearing the end of uh, this episode as we've already gabbed onto you for nearly 45 minutes. minutes. Um, So 
did you do you feel like you you came down to a personal opinion or understanding here about what um, all weather fandom meant to you, or as it as it updated your 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 feeling in this season? I think what all weather fandom means to me is a realization that I have moved away from using baseball as a substitute for self-worth, which is something good that good. I was definitely doing when I was a younger human. Um, and into a place of how can I look at the uh, virtues and lack of virtues that I observe in the way the Orioles play baseball and um, use that as a, a good prism for thinking about other things in my life. And for me, what I'm really coming down on, at least over the course of this recording session, is this idea of we, we don't like to see the work and the work is on display mm. right now. Mm. Um, and the work has not been on display in New York for a long time. Uh, as far as the Yankees are concerned. It hasn't been on display in Houston for a long time. Um, it hasn't been on display in Atlanta for a long time. It hasn't been display in L.A., on display in L.A. for a long time. Um, and Long time. <laughs> long time. Um, and it is, it's front and center right now, and we're having to watch it unfold, and it's not comfortable to watch the wheels turn but it is really instructive and it makes me think about the fact that like, you know, with extraordinarily rare exceptions, nothing good happens gradually. Uh, uh, sorry, nothing good happens. Nothing great happens. I should say overnight. Um, yeah. it is a, it's a gradual itchy, often uncomfortable process. And that's as true at Camden Yards as it is, uh, you know, at Hootenanny Studios <laughs> from where I record these words. So I'm, I'm sitting in that. Yeah. And what about you? Where, where are you with it? Um, I, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just a reminder for me. Uh, this, this whole deadline day saga is a reminder for me that like, um, I am invested in and care about, teams that I love and follow winning and it's more fun when they win, but that, uh, that is only a piece of the puzzle, <laughs> uh, right, that, right. that, um, you know, that I, 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 I'd, I'd rather not go, obviously I'd rather not go down the road of like having to root for, you know, people who have, committed crimes and uh like i i don't i don't i don't want to root for a team like you know whose whose best players are under suspicion of um violence against their spouses and that extends to me to yeah. just like generally i would prefer to root for a team of people that i think i would like and that seem like decent human beings and uh it was a bummer watching one of those people who i have sort of invested in emotionally over the past couple of years leave the team yeah. Um, even acknowledging that it was probably the, probably a good move from a quant perspective, et cetera, et cetera, that all weather fandom to me is, um, more and more rooting for Orioles and the Orioles diaspora 
which means <laughs> like I am still a fan of Buck Walter, and I am going to follow yeah. Trey, Trey Mancini's box scores and look for his highlights in, as an Astro. And um, damn it, I'm still occasionally going to tune into Padres games to see if Manny Machado is uh, yep. keeping up with what I imagine him to be. Um, so, you know, kind of a kind of a coming to terms with the once an Oriole, always an Oriole mindset that that yeah. pervades. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy with the Astros, right? Like our, our bizarre connection with them. Elias is our GM now. Um, like, you know, the Astros cheated their way to part of their success. There's no denying it with the caveats that who knows who else was doing it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yet I would love to see Dusty Baker finally get a world series. Uh, he seems like a truly awesome human being. And the fact that he has been able to take the reins there and bring order to the chaos that that franchise was in the midst of and keep them winning, that's an astonishing feat. And the fact that he and Trey Mancini are in the same clubhouse right now, that's just cool. Yeah. <laughs> if, you love, if you love baseball or if you just love human dynamics, that's awesome. So, you know... Go diaspora. <laughs> All right, folks. We're going to leave it there for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. And we're so, so sorry. We give you something to listen to. By the chance you hear, by the time you hear this, the Orioles have gone on a nine-game losing streak and um, have have <laughs> bottomed back out and are below the Red Sox again in the in the AL basement. Um, yeah, we're really sorry. You, you know, it's it's a risky business. It's a risky business yep. getting off the couch here and potting for you all because uh, so often it turns into disaster. So we want you to know we've considered it and we really thought about it. And when you notice we didn't do it during the 10-game winning streak. We'll let that naturally expire of its own um, before jumping in, <laughs> coming to you now after an 8-1 loss to the Pirates. So uh, it's, it's not like we're, uh, we're, we're actively jinxing anything in this exact moment. Yeah, this is uh, un- the underdog zone is our comfort zone, as we've always known. That's true. That's true. All right, we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.